Well, hello everyone, and uh, welcome once again to Kingdom Leadership and Mentoring. And uh, congratulations once again for sticking it out this far. This is lesson number nine, just this one, and next week's to go, and then we are done. And I really pray, my heart's desire is that your leadership, not just your knowledge of leadership, but rather your leadership capacity training would have grown over this time. So I am super excited about uh, today's lesson. It's beautiful. It's entitled God's Healing Community. And really it is seeing the church as uh, this beautiful body of Christ that is there to bring healing and redemption and hope and life to people. And I'm really hoping that uh, something of this lesson is going to catch a hold of your heart and enlarge your vision and that's going to be practical as well. So let's pray and then we're going to dive straight into it. Father, I do thank you so much for this opportunity once again to open up your word, to study together. Holy Spirit, we recognize as always that you are the great teacher. You lead and guide us into all truth and I pray that you would come and do that. Through this simple lesson, minister into our hearts, we pray. Enlarge us, stretch us, change us, mold us, rebuke us, whatever it takes so that we would be more and more like Jesus. So we give you the glory and honor. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I am on page 119, unit number nine, and it's called God's Healing Community. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a beautiful introduction or overview picture of the church. And last episode, remember, we looked at those various pictures of the church as the building, as the body, as the bride, as the, the temple of God. And we're going to be zeroing in in this particular unit on uh, how we use our spiritual gifts as priests in this New Testament. How do we use the gifts God has given us to bring healing and restoration to people? So a couple of characteristics of God's healing community. Uh, halfway down page 119, it says, we find that the sign of, true Christ, of a true Christian is love. That's it. There's no getting around it. Uh, the marks of maturity in Christ are not the number of certificates you've done, the conferences you've been to, uh, the true mark of Christian maturity is our ability to love the way God loves, that unconditional, that agape, that love that truly comes from God. And in John chapter 13 and verse 35, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation once again. And Jesus said it like this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's it. That, that's the authentic mark of genuine Christian uh, maturity is our ability to love. Not just people like ourselves, but people who are completely different from ourselves. Not just when people love us back, but love us with His unconditional heart. It says that we are known disciples of Jesus by the love that we have for Him and for our fellow brethren. Now, if we jump to Acts chapter 2, and uh, you'll remember this famous passage from uh, verse number 42, where it describes early life after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And we get this beautiful glimpse of this community, this healing community that was the early church. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place 
place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and treated and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, when you read a passage like this, it's a little wonder that the church grew on a daily basis because this was a beautiful community, not a religious community, not an organization. This was a a family. There was friendship. There was authenticity. There was genuine love and care for one another. And that's what people are craving. That's what people are longing for. A sense of belonging, a sense of being cared for. Little wonder that the church grew daily. So Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 gives us a beautiful picture of primitive church life. Simple, pure, faithful, and loyal. These characteristics are like a hedge around a field in which the Holy Spirit can work. Don't you love that description? These characteristics, simple, authentic, faithful, loyal, like a hedge around a field in which the Holy Spirit can work. They are safeguards for growth. As a church grows, it has the potential to become impersonal. That's when people begin to feel uncared for, insensitive to the deep needs of people, an impractical, professional, machine mentality and Honestly, I can really attest to this. It's one of the things we've wrestled with the most. It's, it's exciting to see the church beginning to grow. And yet the number of people who came and said, but Brent, the church doesn't feel like it used to. Now that it's bigger and there's always new people and, and we don't know everyone in the church, it's, we have to fight hard for that same sense of loving, caring community so that it doesn't become an impersonal meeting together of people. Page 120 at the top, it says, Church is about caring, loving, and bringing God's healing power to people. God usually cares for people through people. Remember, we the body, we the hands, we the feet. How does God show His love for people? Through people, through you and me, leaders. We set the tone. The church has excelled in praise, in warfare, in faith, and growth, but have often been lacking in their love, care, and giving to others. That's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we bring God's love practically? How do we be that healing community, the church that Jesus desires? I'm going to go through uh, section 9.1.2. It's called Establishing God's Healing Community. I'll just change the, the heading once again. And I want to talk about six characteristics of God's healing community. I'm going to go through them quite quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover. So characteristic number one of the healing community. What does it look like? Number one, it's forgiving. Forgiveness is a choice and must be exercised even in the most difficult of circumstances. We read in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. A healing community is a forgiving community. And let's be honest, you know why people leave. They leave and they say, oh, we got busy. Or No, no, they got offended. They got hurt. And instead of dealing with relational breakdowns, the immature Christian will duck and run. And our job is to teach people how to forgive by setting the example of forgiveness. We are to forgive others as part of our daily lifestyle. True forgiveness must come from the heart. Down in verse 25, it says, 
the parable, Jesus spoke about the, the rich ruler forgiving. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begged him, please be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave him his debts. We go all the way to, to 35, and it says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart deep down from the heart, releasing them. We must be willing to put the past feelings of anger and guilt behind us. Forgiveness requires us to face the truth about sin. We often find it difficult to forgive because we fail to see the awfulness of our own sin in God's sight. We fail to see how often we have done to others the very thing we are so hurt about having been done to us. Calvary gives us a glimpse of the horror of sin in God's sight. And I've always said, remember, we reflect the revelation that we have of God. We love because God first loved us. In exactly the same way, we show mercy and forgiveness to others when we've had a revelation of God's incredible mercy to us. Well, only when we've received that mercy, genuinely known and, and accepted the revelation of God's incredible forgiving power, will we find it so much easier to forgive others as well. So characteristic number one, a healing community is a forgiving community. Number two, a healing community is a community of friendship. The Greek word philio involves the idea of loving as well as being loved. The other Greek word for friendship is hertarios, forgive me, Greek scholars, and it means a comrade, companion, or partner. True friendship is a special bond between people that has no selfish desire to get something out of the other or seeks its own rewards. There are some people who want to be friends with certain prestigious people for wrong motives. They think it will make them important, for instance, to be the pastor's friend. It will give them credibility or a special place in the life of the church. It may be a stepping stone to prominence or a future ministry. That's the church is longing for authenticity. I love this aspect of friendship. Friendship is not when we go around calling each other brother and blessed. No, no. It's about getting to know one another, being real, being genuine, and uh, really forming true bonds of friendship as best as we can in the church. Characteristic number three of a healing community is empathy. Empathy, even more than sympathy, empathy is, is taking on the compassion to feel someone else's pain and hurt. Now, we know Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. Remember that? How many times it said he looked at the crowd like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. When the widow's son died, Jesus' heart went out to her and he said, do not cry. We must feel the joy and pain of others. We must rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, it says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. In other words, carry them, carry the, the emotional pain that you know they're going through. Empathy is such a powerful force. It's, uh, people long more than anything to know that someone actually understands what they're going through. And uh, I believe a true healing community is when we allow our hearts to carry and to feel and to connect with the hurt and pain of others. I used to uh, think when I was a young pastor that people came to the pastor because they want advice, they want answers, they want to be fixed. And then I realized no more than anything that they just want to be heard, they want to be felt, they want someone to be able to feel that pain as well. And most breakthrough in counseling doesn't come from my clever wisdom, 
It comes from just listening and allowing people to express. For someone just to listen well, quick to listen, to listen so that you can help carry some of the hurt that they have. Characteristic number four of a healing community is covenantal. Covenantal means understanding that we knitted together. That's what mine is yours, what's yours is mine. There was an older saying that what's in my fridge belongs to you, what's in your fridge belongs to me. That's covenantal relationships and that's what the church is built on. We're a covenant family. The covenant family was carried on into the church. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Why? Because they understood covenant. They understood that I can't be rejoicing if I know you suffering. I can't have plenty if I know you have nothing. Rather, covenantal means I will give up mine for you and you give up yours for mine. I can't prosper if you're not succeeding as well. Understanding covenant. Pure and faultless religion is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Covenant thinking and, and, and part of covenant is, uh, is that commitment, is a submission to one another, is accountability to one another, is care for one another. These are the kind of uh, relationships. This is the kind of expression of genuine love that will make the church of Jesus so beautiful and attractive. Characteristic number five of a healing community is sacrificial. Because remember, love is inconvenient. Love gives, love sacrifices, love goes. Love is not about me, it's about others. And to express love in a healing community means we're willing to pay the price. In order to be a healing community, there are costs involved. It demands a costly love, a willingness to be inconvenienced, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, and to not quit. We need understanding and patience. We must be gentle and gracious. We must make room for people's discouragements and failures. We must bear one another's burdens. We are called to encourage one another and extend hospitality towards others. You know, sometimes we joke, um, even as pastors sometimes, you know, I would love the church if it wasn't for the people. But no, 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 no. It's dangerous to even joke about such things. Of course, sometimes you hear more people, more problems. Sure, here's the reality. These are the people of God. I want to encourage you that people are not a nuisance. People are not a burden. People are not a pain. Sometimes when you harassed and tired, it can feel like that. But remember, these are the precious saints that Jesus gave his blood for. And I want to encourage you, even as, as leaders and aspiring pastors, or if you're really a pastor, you're leading a church, pray, Lord, please, would you give me your heart for your people? In Romans, it speaks about that the Lord pours out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I would recommend you learn that prayer and you pray that prayer as a practical prayer. Please, Lord, pour out your love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I can testify that God answers that prayer. He gives us His heart and His love. And characteristic number six of a healing community is unity. Unity, fellowship within the healing community. Someone has said, fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. For two fellows to live in the same ship for any length of time, they must love each other and be united. It has to, uh, it has to be more than our organized meetings on Sundays or home cells. There must be fellowship after the meetings. Visiting each other in the home, doing things together will form intimate friendships. And I would encourage you to make every opportunity to encourage fellowship, to encourage people build, doing more than just having a Sunday meeting. Uh, we, we encourage all of our home groups or life groups to meet around a meal. First eat, connect around the table. We even when we design our church building, design it with a, a coffee shop meeting area next to it. So uh, the meeting doesn't finish on a Sunday when we say amen, but rather transfers into the coffee shop where people hopefully stay and gather and drink coffee and connect because 
We want people to be building covenantal, sacrificial, loving, empathetic, committed relationships. So these are some of the characteristics of a healing community. But let's now talk practically for us as leaders. I want to talk about the gifts and calling of God's healing community. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This is a spectacular verse. I love it. Listen to these key words. Uh, serve faithfully grace. That's it. Each one should serve. Serve. Why does God give us gifts? Why have you been called to leadership? So that you can serve and serve faithfully. How? With His grace. It's not about our effort and our energy, the grace of God. One of my favorite scriptures in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it speaks about Paul. He said, I worked harder than all the other apostles, but not me. It was his grace upon me and his grace to me has not been without effect. God's grace empowers us. God's grace enables us to serve willingly, passionately and lovingly. God's desire and purpose for us is to enlarge our sphere of influence. As the NIV reads, that our area of activity will greatly expand. God has assigned to us a field that is individually, corporately as a church, broken down through home sales, families, individuals, and through apostolic teams. God has called us to growth. He's called us to bigness. What we do means, <clears throat> what, do, <laughs> what do we mean by being God's healing community? Healing is health and wholeness incorporating into every area of our lives. It means physical, it means emotional, recreational, spiritual, financial, relational, material. So to be this healing community is not just healing the sick, but rather recognizing that we are integrated parts. We're physical, spiritual, emotional beings, and we've got to minister to the whole person and see them healed. God's healing community means we make ourselves available to God and each other. For God to create an environment conducive to the Holy Spirit to be able to operate, Jesus himself could not do many mighty works in certain places. Remember that story when the people were offended? And so because of that offense, that hardness of heart, the environment wasn't right for healing to take place. So because of that environment was not right, what we experience inside the four walls of the auditorium must be translated into practical life out there in the world. The New Testament opens with Jesus healing, feeding, delivering, forgiving, and restoring the people. In fact, when Jesus <coughs> excuse me, began his ministry, he quoted this in Luke uh, chapter 4 and verse 18, of course, he was quoting from Isaiah 61, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, <clears throat> for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the ministry that Jesus brought, bringing liberty and freedom. The outworking of His redemption is to be continued and outworked through us, His body today. The New Testament church lived and healed. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, we see another glimpse of the, the early church. Acts 4, verse 32 to 35, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Once again, another glimpse of what it looks like, this healing and restorative community. There were no needy people among them 
and much grace was upon them all. They made themselves as well as their possessions totally available for God to use as he wanted. Each of those people saw themselves as part of God's healing community. That to me, I love this verse because this, leaders, we've got to lead our people to this, where each member of the body sees themselves as part of the healing. In other words, they're not just there to be healed, but rather they're there to be part of a healing community. There's grace and gifts upon their lives that God wants to use to bring healing to others. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible begins and ends with restoration and wholeness on every level. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, says Revelations 22. Beautiful picture of God's healing community. This has become revelation knowledge to us. We must become God's healing community. However, for this to occur, we ourselves need to be healed in certain areas. Now, here's a big key. If we as leaders are going to model a healing community, obviously it starts right here. It starts with you and I. Now, remember, as a shepherd, as a leader, there's a little saying that says, well, the tallest tree catches the most wind. In other words, it's often the leaders who get hurt the most, carry the most discouragement. People criticize. They say things. They misunderstand your motives. That means if we're going to lead a healing community, first, we have to learn. And by learn, I'm saying God might test us and will test us in some of these things. Learn to live healed ourselves. It means four things. Number one, past sins and the effect on us now. And that was learning to walk in the grace of forgiveness. No matter what you've done, have you had the revelation that the blood of Jesus covers your sin? Are you walking without condemnation and guilt, no matter how bad your past? Number two, past hurts and disappointments from others. Yikes, people have let you down, they've betrayed you, they've hurt you. Have you been able to release it to the Lord? Are you walking healed or is your heart guarded and jaded and now suspicious? Or are you walking in the ability to trust again, to love again, because your heart is healed? Number three, past habits and behavioral patterns. I think all of us wrestle with some kinds of addiction. Some are obvious sins. Others could be addicted to, to self-pity or negativity. Whatever that addiction of the past, have we found healing in Jesus? We've got to be healed so that we can bring healing to others. Number four, past approaches and attitudes to church life. I met with someone just the other day, and as I was chatting with him, he's nowhere in his relationship to God. He says he loves God, but hates the church. And as he began to unpack his stories, I began to realize, yikes, if I was you, I might hate the church as well. He spoke time and time again of, of leaders who were just betrayed him, who were just after money, who used and manipulated. And, and he walked out of the church saying, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to ask you, maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've been left a little suspicious of church leaders because of past hurts. Have you learned to live healed? This is crucial, leaders, and this is practical. We're never going to lead and model a healing community until we have found healing ourselves. Let's talk about using the gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit to serve others. God has given each person special gifts to minister to the body of Christ, and we ought to be diligent in our ministry to others. In order for this to happen, we must develop a keen sense of awareness of people's individual needs. I, I love this because this is maturity. Someone said maturity is sensitivity to others. 
Now, a baby is not aware of anyone else. They only think about themselves and they will cry. They will do whatever they want to get their needs met. That's immature and that's okay because they're a baby. Maturity means as you grow up, it should be less about me and more about others. The sensitivity should go from just my needs to the needs of the people around me. That's what EQ is all about, being able to be aware of other people's needs in a situation. Now, what it's speaking about here, leaders, if we're going to lead a healing community, we need to be aware of where people are at, sensitive to others' needs and not consumed by our own Ask God to make you sensitive to others' hurts and needs. Also, develop your own ability to receive. If someone determines to give you something and you turn it down, they may never try again. This is huge because remember, people want to give and it's tough sometimes. I, I know I've been on the receiving end. I've got so many testimonies of, of people's generosity and, and I've wrestled so many times. One, because of pride. I, I'm not worthy. And, and even worse, sometimes I, but I can't return that favor. I felt God challenged me once and, and I felt him, not, not an audible voice, but just into my heart say, Brent, I've got so much more I would love to give to you if you were only able to receive. It takes humility to receive and, and to give people the opportunity to bless you. Not, not trying to get anything, not manipulation, but allowing people to love you just as you want to be able to love them. Now, just as a little side note, I've had the privilege of traveling to different nations and, and spending time sometimes in the poorest of the poor. And, and it's so humbling, sometimes going into a really poor person's home and you know they got nothing. And yet often they're the ones who sacrifice the most. I've been in homes where they've given up the one bedroom in the house where the whole family sleeps, given it up for, for two of us to, to, to sleep in a room like that while they sleep on the floor or with neighbors. And, and somehow in your heart, you think, how could I ever repay these people for their kindness. That's why what I love so much is uh, God's promise to Abraham when he said to Abraham, leave your country. Remember Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. And, and, and then God gives this amazing promise. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And then he says this, I will bless those who bless you. Isn't that beautiful? That has been a revelation to me. God blesses those who bless me. And so even in this thing, sometimes it's okay to allow, to allow people to give to you. Not fishing for it, but when they do, receive it well and know this, God blesses those who bless you. A healing community, learning to love and give to others and teaching people to graciously receive as well. Alrighty, let's uh, continue then on page 125. Put others first before yourself. Important scriptures to remember in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, it says love is not self-seeking. That's genuine love, looking to the interests of others. Romans 15 verse 1 and 2, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak to build him up. In other words, the more mature you are, the more you realize it's not about you, it's about others. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Isn't that huge? That's humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So administering gifts in various forms. We've got about 12 minutes to go, so let's dig in. I want to get super practical with some of this. But let me start with a quote from F.B. Mayer. And he says, the manifold grace is a many colored grace. 
as when a ray of light breaks into a spray of many hues. So each of us receives God's grace at a different angle. I love that. I love that picture. Each of us receives God's grace at a different angle so that we can display a different attribute of His grace and flashes it back, broken into some fresh colors. In some, it is speech. In others, service. In others, giving. So grace is a word, and there's many scriptures. If you have your manual, I hope you've downloaded one so you can look up some of these. I want to skim over them, but just to remind you, grace is a word that strikes a chord of hope in the heart of the sinner, lost in his sin, separated from God. That's what grace is. Grace is a word that helps us to rest in the love and acceptance of our Father, who embraces us and pours out lavishly upon us His rich benefits and provision because of Jesus. Grace is a word that stimulates a desire to serve out of gratitude towards God because he loved us while we were yet sinners and gave his son his son for us isn't this beautiful grace is a word that assures us that God is in control God cares and understands even when we fail grace is a word that pardons all our sins no matter how terrible as we look unto Jesus grace is a word that lifts us when we fall are distressed discouraged or disillusioned and urges us to press on What a beautiful word, the grace. And we get, these gifts are the expressions of that grace to others. That's what makes a healing community. Excuse me, we are to minister the gifts God has given us through His love and divine purpose. How wonderful to extend His love and mercy to His children so that He may be glorified. Remember Matthew 5 verse 16. Well, let me read it. It speaks about how we display His glory like light that shines. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your good deeds, this is it, the spiritual, the gifts of God's grace, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, let me stop for just a moment. When we understand grace, God has lavishly given us His abilities, His gifts, so that we can express His love to others. It's not about you and I. And the abilities are not about you and I, it's about giving glory to God. Remember that story I told you about John Maxwell's dad. Now, John Maxwell is an amazing orator. He's a leadership teacher and and written so many books. And his dad told him when he was still a a young man growing in his ministry and, and, uh, and his speaking ability. And he would walk off the stage and people would stand and give him a standing ovation. And his dad said, John, just remember this. They're not really clapping for you. They clapping for the gift that God has given you. Because honestly, you're not that good. I know you. Now, this was a loving dad who, who loved his son so much, but he taught his son an incredible lesson. And people, as a pastor, it's, it's embarrassing sometimes when people come and express their gratitude and thanks and, and all of these things. And then you remember, actually, I'm not that good. This is the gift that God has given me. People are clapping and appreciating the gift. When we remember that, it keeps us grounded and makes sure that the glory goes to God and that we don't try and take it for ourselves. It's the understanding of God's amazing grace that spurs us on to bless others. His gift of grace towards lost and sinful mankind is so unmerited, yet in all of God's wisdom, He knew the need for this grace within us. As we are to minister our gifts in like manner, there's a great need for God's people to be ministered to. Even if we don't feel like ministering or feel it's deserved, our attitude should be that of serving the body of Christ. Now remember, we reflect the revelation we have of God. When we get this revelation of the God of grace, unmerited favor, His lavish gifts to us, what's the reflection? 
we begin to minister out of a pure heart for the glory of God, energized and full of passion so that God alone would be glorified. Now, let's look a bit more detail at these gifts, the speaking and serving gifts. If anyone speaks, this is 1 Peter 4:11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These two words cover the broad diversity of ministry. They're speaking and then there are serving gifts. Both are equally important to the church and operating in the church. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. So speaking, ministering the word. If you are teaching, make sure you know how to handle God's word. Rightly dividing the word of truth, it says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. The beginning of this verse is vitally important. Study to show yourself approved unto God. We are only able to minister God's word once we have reverently studied it and prayed over our learning so that the word of God may indeed be real and alive in our lives. Then we're able to effectively handle and minister his word. Now, I love the speaking gifts. Yep, God's called me to be a preacher, to be a communicator. And for me, it's the greatest joy and greater privilege. And we need to take it seriously. I want to highlight just one little aspect of what uh, Dudley highlighted here in the manual. It says, we are only able to minister God's word once we have reverently studied it and prayerfully learned it. I love those two. Reverently means as we go to God's word, that's where... The meat is, that's where the strength is. People are not looking for my opinions or your opinions. They're looking for the word of God, which is supernatural and alive and powerful and brings life and healing and transformation. And when we bring that reverent attitude towards God's word so that we can communicate it. Second word, prayerfully. Now this is huge. Remember, it's revelation that changes people, not information. Let me give you an honest little confession. I've been preaching for 20 years. I love preaching. And sometimes when I'm overworked and uh, not prepared enough, I could whip together a sermon in about an hour. And some people might even say, oh, good word. But honestly, I know. I've just put some scriptures together, put some stories around it. And from my head, it's gone into other people's heads. That doesn't change people's lives. The longing of my heart, and I know the longing of yours. Paul said, I'm not coming with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of God's power. He's not just talking about healing. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and transformation in people's lives. That's why this aspect of preparing in prayer, not just preparing in your notes and on your computer, prayerfully get a hold of it so that out of your revelation, you can impart revelation to others as well. So speaking gifts, remember, that's not just on the platform preaching. That could be speaking into small groups, one-on-one counseling in our conversations using Uh, speaking as a gift. Next one is service. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. I love it. Whatever gift, whatever power of doing good is given to us, we should minister with all our hearts. Not everyone is called to preach and teach, but those behind the scenes. Ministries help make the public ministries possible and credible. Practical service stems from Grace stems from grace. I love that. Ephesians 4 verses uh, 7 and 8. It speaks about Christ who has given grace to each one of us. Remember what I said about Paul? It's his grace that made me work harder than others. Grace makes something feel natural to you. Now let me make a little point about that. Sometimes that means you'll battle to even know God's given you grace because it just comes naturally to you. 
In fact, sometimes it takes other people to point out God's grace in your life. Because, well, I used to think every Christian surely wants to spend hours studying the word to get up and preach. And then I realized, no, that's not true. But then I discovered other Christians love to just spend hours in God's presence and coming up with these prophetic words. Other Christians just at their best thing is to get out there and serve and, and do what they can to help others. Others just want to sit and talk and go deep emotionally and we're different because of His grace. And when you're operating in your grace, it doesn't feel like work to you. It feels like just this is what God has made me to do. The beauty of His grace at work in us. Now I've got to land, and so uh, I want to finish up quickly. True grace motivates me to want to see God's name glorified. True grace motivates me to service beyond the confines of walls and behind the scenes. Let me give you six places. Where are we going to minister? Leaders, we're building a healing community. The church is the healing community. Six places or arenas in which we can minister the grace of God. Number one, speaking life-giving words of Jesus. Luke 4 verse 22 says, All spoke well of Him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from His lips. Colossians 4 verse 6 says that our conversation should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Our words can bring life and encouragement to one another. We must learn to speak well of others, to honor people and spend time focusing on the truth. We build a healing community with our conversations, all of our speaking seasoned with salt and grace so that it brings life. Number two, by loving one another. This is given to us as a command and must be exercised with all patience and perseverance. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. If it doesn't contain love, it's worth nothing, gains nothing, is nothing. Loving one another person may not always be the easiest thing to do, yet in doing so we display the heart of God when we love without condition. Number three, we build a healing community through the restoration of fallen believers. Galatians 6.14, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we minister to those who have, we believe that they can rise to a greater heart. Oh no, when we minister to those who've fallen, those who've uh, been part of it, who've been counting for Jesus and have slipped away, but we believe that they can rise to greater hearts than when they fell. That's the redemption heart, trusting to see them restored. Fourthly, generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 9 is a beautiful picture of that. The, the poor Christians in Macedonia and how they rose up out of their poverty with joy to give and to be a blessing. God loves a cheerful giver. When a church is not spiritual, it is not generous. So Paul wanted to rectify the situation. He knew it would be difficult to get the Corinthians to participate in giving. And so he lifted his appeal to the highest spiritual level possible, love. Paul indicates that there are a number of evidences that appear when our giving is motivated by love. We give in spite of circumstances. That's giving motivated by love. We give enthusiastically. We give as Jesus gave. We give willingly. We give by faith. Generosity is an expression of healing. It's such a beautiful sign. Number five, caring for the poor and needy. Galatians 2 verses 9 and 10, when, when Paul and Barnabas went back to Peter and John and the apostles to be accountable for their ministry, and the one thing that the apostles said, just remember one thing, remember the poor. The heart of God is to remember the poor. This is all that the apostles wanted Paul to do. All they asked was that we should remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. 
This is all part of ministering the grace of God in its various forms to the aged, the incapacitated, the orphans, the widows, the unemployed, and the prisoners. Isaiah 58, 6-12 is a, a beautiful portion of scripture, not describing religious life, but rather comparing that to genuine expressions of His grace that bring healing. And then lastly, number six, giving hospitality. Human hospitality is a reflection of God's grace to us. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Human hospitality is a reflection of God's grace to us. Jesus enjoyed hospitality when he was here on earth. So did his apostles. Abraham was hospitable to three strangers and discovered that he was entertained. He had entertained the Lord and two angels. Remember that remarkable verse in... um, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 2, it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. This is the beauty of hospitality. So, final sentence, let me wrap it up. Living in harmony, preaching, calling people to obedience of faith, the gifts of the Spirit, singing with grace, imparting something spiritual to make others strong are all parts of administering the love and gifts of God in various ways. I have to say, I absolutely love this chapter. For me, it gives me such a vision of the church. This is the church of Jesus, this healing community where people who are broken and abused and and discontent and, and without vision, without hope, discover a people so full of the life and grace who've received so much of God's grace that they just want to reflect it to others. And we've been given grace gifts, expressions of Christ through us, whether it's speaking, serving in any way we can, reflecting His grace to bring healing to others. May God give us a vision. May God empower us. May our churches reflect the healing community we were designed to be. In Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. May the Lord bless you. I really hope this has helped. And may uh, may we go out as leaders commissioned afresh to bring Christ's healing to His church. Amen. God bless everyone. Bye for now.